Today we are back in the Gospel of Matthew, for those of you who have been following along for uh, almost a year now, and uh, we are in chapter 11, but we will spend some time to get there, uh, coming back into it after telling a bit of a story. Uh, In 1982, there was a book that was published, and it was called The Secret, A Treasure Hunt. And uh, if, you, if you were a child of the 80s, this is very 80s art, boy, isn't it? Anyways, it was a unique book, though, because the, the, the idea behind it was that there's 12 paintings and, and poems in the book. And the guy who wrote it and published it, his name was Byron Priest, he buried uh, in, treasure, uh, in locations around the United States and Canada these little ceramic helmets. They look like medieval helmets with a key inside them. And if you were able to go through the book and look at the paintings and stuff and figure out all the clues there that were in each painting, you would find one of these, these helmets, which had a key inside. And if you took that key to New York, there was a post office box in New York you could take it to, and, you would, and, you, and it would open up a, a, a safe deposit box, and there would be a jewel inside. It was a, worth quite a bit. And so this guy, so it was just kind of fun. He, he, he buried these 12... Uh, helmets around, uh, like I said, North America, and people started buying the book and, and trying to figure out the paintings. And to this date, three have been found. One was found in 1982, I mean 1984, pretty quickly after it was published. The second wasn't found until 2004, and the third was found by a dad and two sons in 2019. That's it. The others are still out there. There's nine others out there. If you're looking for something to do during Corona time, you know, you can always uh, get the book and, and start figuring stuff out. But the guy who wrote the book died in an automobile accident in 2005. So if these are never found, the person, the only one that knows where they're buried is no longer around to give any information. And so it's been kind of this mystery, and some people enjoy the mystery, and they, like the one that the father and two sons found it, he had been working on these since the 80s, and it's kind of a passion that he passed down to his kids, and it's just fun for them to do and, and get together. You have these little groups, if you look online, and you put this guy's name in, they like go through all his interviews, all his Facebook posts from the past to see if there's any clues in there, because they just enjoy the mystery. And I don't know about you, but I like a good mystery now and then. But I don't like to put that much effort into it. You know, if, uh, when it comes to me figuring out stuff, uh, I want mysteries like this to be fun. I don't want it to become a job. Like some of you know, may know that I, I play computer games now and then when I uh, just want to kind of relax. And a lot of games, you have to kind of figure out something. And I like to play older games because that way, if I can't figure out the mystery, I just go online. I go to YouTube and I type in, you know, how do I find the magic feather to open up the dancing castle or something very manly and, and mature like that. And, uh, and it comes up, you know, the answer along with a video. And I don't have to think that hard. I'll give, it about a, I'll give it about good maybe two hours of thinking and then I'm pretty much done. But uh, not all of life's mysteries are that easily solved. You just can't go to YouTube and, and find it. And for the Christian, the mystery that is God can be one that is sometimes difficult to understand and sometimes difficult to to get your head around and solve. In fact, I think all people with true spiritual curiosity, regardless of of what, you know, where they grow up in or what particular religion they grow up in, they all have a sincere desire to understand who they are, 
who God is and where they fit in. Now, I believe that the answer is found in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ only. But I do think there are people around the world of sincere, uh, seeking hearts that want to know. And I believe most of those will eventually come to Christ if they have a sincerity in their seeking heart. But this idea of mystery isn't anything new. In fact, in the early church, there were things called mystery religions. And mystery religions were characterized by being a, a, a group that claimed that if you went through their, their rituals, their temple rituals, that you would eventually be told the big secrets of life, the universe, and everything. It's very much like Scientology is today. Some of you have heard of Scientology. Scientology claims that if you, you start taking their courses and you go through their rituals, each of which costs you thousands and thousands of euros, that you will eventually become clear and you'll come to this great realization of who God is and who you are. And, uh, and the internet has kind of broken that mystery. If you ever want to find out the craziness of Scientology, you can just type in, uh, type in the Scientology and, and the, their end story, and it's pretty bizarre. Given that it was written by a science fiction author, that shouldn't be too surprising. But a lot of cults do this. Mormonism does the same thing. There's, there's this time that every Mormon goes through their temple, the temple recommend and you go through some rituals and they they tell you some of the things that you need to know in order to have salvation or to be uh, go to your next step for Mormons is becoming a god yourself if you're a man the apostle Paul wrote often using the word mystery because in the city of Corinth in particular there was a lot of these mystery religions the, the most popular one was the cult of Isis and I'm not talking about the terrorist group Isis I'm talking about the, the Egyptian goddess who was supposed to be both the sister and wife of Orissus, who is this Egyptian god. And the cult of Isis was very popular in the time of the Apostle Paul. And so he would often use the word mystery when he would write because he's using a language that people uh, understood. But the big difference between Christianity and the mystery religions is that the mystery was always presented right up front. We, Christianity has never tried to hide how one comes to know God or how one comes to that place of salvation. Let me give you an example. This is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made, made known to men of other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And here's the mystery. Here's the answer to the mystery. Paul doesn't try and hide it. And it's something that you probably already know and understand. The mystery is that through the gospel... The Gentiles, which means the non-Jewish people, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, a lot of you might be like, that's the big reveal? I knew that, because most of you are, non, not, most of you are Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. You know, we, I think most of us have known for quite a while that we can have a relationship with God. But in the time that this was written, this was a big deal because Jesus had come as the Messiah. He had come very specifically, born into a Jewish household, 
he made it very clear he came first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. And it was a struggle in the early church to come to the understanding that Jesus was for all humanity, not just a Jewish Messiah for the Jewish people, but that he was for all people. And so the mystery, and again, when Paul uses the word mystery, he's kind of using it a little bit, I don't know what the, in English we'd say tongue-in-cheek. He's kind of using it, he means it, but also he's kind of using it as a little bit of a wink. You know, kind of like, you know, let's, let's talk about our mystery here. And that is that, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body, shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And in fact, if you read through the Bible, especially the New Testament, and it talks about the mystery, it almost always answers the mystery right away. In the, in the uh, scripture that was read in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 3.16, he immediately answers, the mystery is this. And then he just goes through that, that Christ was manifest in the flesh, you know, he walked among us, he suffered death on the cross, he rose again on the third day, he ascended into heaven. So the, the mystery in that case is, who is Jesus? And like, again, for a lot of us, this isn't really anything all that new. And yet, it is still very confusing to people because they oftentimes will try and, they'll see these words mystery and they don't realize it's being given to them right there in the text. It's, it's right in front of their eyes and they will struggle with it and try to understand it. So we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew now in chapter 11 because Jesus begins to go into this mystery language. He doesn't use the word mystery, but he talks about uh, things being held from former generations and being revealed to them now. And we're going to start by using uh, the passage of the one uh, that we used a few weeks ago where he talks about the towns that uh, have had the word preached, the gospel preached into them, but they didn't respond. And then we'll go into the part that we're going to look at today. So in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30, it says, When Jesus, Jesus, then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles have been performed because they did not repent. So we talked about this two weeks ago. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down into the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, they would remain to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now, the Gospel of Matthew just continues right on by saying, Then at that time Jesus said, and then he continues speaking. But what is interesting is that we know from the, the Gospel of Luke, that in between verses 24 and 25 in the Gospel of Matthew, something significant happens. And that is the disciples who had been sent out to preach come back. And so in between verses 24 and 25, the disciples return. And if you want to look it up on your own, it's found in Luke chapter 10, 17 through 20 are the verses where they come back. And if you read that section, you'll see Jesus saying this exact same thing about woe to these cities. Then the disciples come back and they say, wow, you know what? The, the demons submitted to your name. Everything went great. And Jesus is rejoicing with them. And then he comes back into this section that, uh, that we'll be looking at today more closely. And this is the same words you're going to find in Luke. So for whatever reason, Matthew doesn't include the narrative that the disciples come back, but Luke does. It's one reason why it's good that we have all the Gospels. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned 
and revealed them to little children. So now he's beginning to speak in this kind of mystery language. And remember, the context of this is the disciples came back and said, Wow, even the demons and even you know, sickness, everything submits to your name. Yes, Father, it was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. And here's another little mystery language he uses. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So there's, you hear that kind of language of revelation and mystery. And then, he, then Matthew includes a section here that is only in Matthew. For whatever reason, Luke doesn't include it. And people love these verses. These are beloved verses. They're like on posters and T-shirts and coffee mugs everywhere. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I think it's important to understand, why does Matthew include these iconic verses and none of the other Gospels do? And I think a lot of it has to do with, obviously, the verses just before when Jesus talks about mystery. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of Christians, even though we're told you're saved by faith through grace, God has a plan for your life, you're children of eternity, I think even though we are told these things over and over and over again, there's still an anxiety that we often have when it comes to the things of faith. And it may not be an anxiety that we, that we can really even put into words, but sometimes I think a lot of Christians struggle in a place of fear sometimes because they really don't understand the mystery of God as it's been revealed in Jesus Christ and how much if you just understand what God has done and how that applies to you, that you can relax when it comes to worrying about the direction of your life and where you're going. And so we're going to look at some of those mysteries answered today. And I guarantee you, it's nothing you haven't heard before, but maybe you didn't realize before what a big deal this is and how this is a mystery revealed. So first, let's look, we're going to look at these verses, uh, verses 27 and, 25 through 27 first. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden those things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and to, to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It's interesting there in that passage, isn't it, that the Son is the one that reveals the Father. That's the role of Jesus, to reveal to us the very character and nature of God. That's part of the mystery. What is, Jesus's, what is his role? Why is he here? Why did God manifest as the Word made flesh? So that we could see the very character and nature of God. This is what Jesus tells his disciple Philip in, in, Roman, uh, in the book of Gospel of John. When Philip says, just show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus says, Philip, don't you know that after all these years... When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now Jesus, and we've had this discussion before in sermons, you know, Jesus never claims to be the Father, 
but he is the word of God made flesh. It means he is the very nature and character of God made flesh. And Jesus is looking at Philip and saying, when you've seen me, you've seen what makes God happy. You've seen what makes God mad. You've seen how I deal with sin. You see how I deal with people caught in adultery, but the grace that is extended. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus reveals to us the very character and nature of the Father. And none of this is really new. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, when he writes his letters, you will see that he very often uses the same verbiage as Jesus. He uses the same language as Jesus. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, 9 and 10, he says, He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So the mystery of God's will has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, bringing all things in heaven on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now you have to understand in English here, when he says to bring all things together under one head, even Christ, he's not saying that even Jesus is going to be brought under some head that we don't really quite understand. He's saying that the head is Christ. That all things will be in heaven and on earth will be brought together under one head. And probably an easier way to translate that would be, and that head is Christ. Ephesians 3, 4 and 5 says this, In reading this, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men of other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So you see in here how the Apostle Paul uses some of Jesus' language. For example, this idea, this was to your good pleasure. This is something that you see throughout the, the New Testament. You know, the, Jesus says, yes, Father, you did this because this was to your good pleasure. The Apostle Paul says, he has made these things known, this mystery, according to his good, good pleasure. So that's something that you see coming up quite often, that God is acting out of his own good pleasure. And then the other thing you see in all these passages is this term revealed. You know, that, that there's a revelation that is taking place. A revelation that had been kept apart from the Old Testament prophets. In fact, you know more about God and His character than the Old Testament prophets. Does that surprise you? If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you have a closer relationship with God than the Old Testament prophets. You have a closer relationship with God than Isaiah. You have a closer relationship with God than Ezekiel. And a lot of you might be sitting there going, no way, these are the great prophets you have had things revealed to you that, has not been, that was not revealed to them. Because it wasn't the time of God's good pleasure. It was waiting for the fulfillment of things to take place. And so when we come to this place of mystery, again, a lot of people feel like there's parts of Christianity that they just don't know. Like, what are the mysteries? Am I missing out on something? And the answer is probably not. Probably not. You see, people have tried desperately to, to explain God and try and put words in God's mouth, but you don't have to do that. God has revealed everything we need to know. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us to make it even super clear what we need to know. To see God in action among us. To see God in action among us when he deals with sin. To see God in action among us when he deals with unbelief. To see God in action as he deals among us, as he deals with people who are sick and who are losing hope and have no sense of a future. How does Christ deal with them? That's how God deals with us. And so let's look at some of the answers to the mysteries that are presented in these passages and later in the scripture. First is this. 
People sometimes ask, why did God create the world? Why did God create the universe? Was it because he was lonely? Some people say that. God was lonely, so he created humanity, so he would have someone to love and to love him. That's not true. God is sufficient within himself. He didn't create humanity or the world or the universe because there was something lacking in him emotionally or spiritually. He acted within his own nature. God is only compelled by himself. And God is a creative God. This picture is kind of an, an interesting one because this was done by a guy named Salvador Dali, which some of you probably have heard of as an artist. And the, and the view of it is to be the Father's view of the crucifixion, looking upon Christ as the Father would look from heaven down. And this was very controversial when it came out because people were saying, well, who are you to say how God would see anything, including the crucifixion? But I think there's something interesting in this, past, in this picture because it lets us know that, anyways, it's always spoken to me that God is in, understands and, and is in full control of what is going on here. There's nothing happening here that God doesn't, that God hadn't already planned. And as he watches, as he sees the crucifixion of the word of God that was made flesh, his only begotten son, this is not a surprise to the Father. Because he has planned this from the very beginning. Look at what Ephesians, this is expanding on our Ephesians passage. Look at what it says here. This is a powerful passage. The book of Ephesians is a deep, deep book, and the first chapter is incredibly deep. But look what he writes. This is the Apostle Paul. For he, being the Father, chose us in him, being Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. So when were we chosen? Before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, and sons is important for men, women, for slave or free, Jew or Gentile, because it means we have equal inheritance in God. He adopted us as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance to what? His pleasure, his will. God is only motivated by what? Himself, his pleasure, his will. I think you should take the term predestined and his pleasure and will and kind of see those as very much parallel phrases. People have written thousands of books on the concept of predestination. Not a whole lot on his pleasure and his will, but I think they're pretty much saying the same thing. God acts because God wants to act in certain ways. And to the praise of his glorious grace. So God acts to give him himself praise, to reveal himself, which is freely given us in the one he loves, again referring to Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and according with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You see, you see that mystery language used? The wisdom and understanding. Those things that weren't known. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head even Christ, or under one head, which is Christ. And the important thing about this is sometimes we're taught, and this is wrong, we're taught that what happened in the Garden of Eden where, where Eve and Adam partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and they fall into this place of, of sin, 
and that God has to somehow repair the damage done in the Garden of Eden as if God went, oh, didn't see that coming. Now i got to figure out plan B. And plan B is going to be, I guess, one of us is going to die on the cross, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. I think it's up to you, son. That's not at all. We were chosen before the creation of the world, according to this passage. God knew what was going to happen. What we see going on is that there is a history of humanity that is taking us from the place of, of childish naivety, where you have Adam and Eve running around the garden naked, not even realizing they're, like, they're naked like little kids do. You know, some of you who are parents, you know, you have those times when your kids just kind of run around the house naked. They don't care. They, don't, they have no concept of being clothed or unclothed. And then they realize, oh, everyone else has clothes, but I don't. And then they go to the other extreme sometimes where they're like super uh, self-conscious about everything about themselves. You see this happen in the Bible. It goes from the garden that they're this way, and then they go out into the world, and humanity develops, and there's a, they just go all over the place. They're completely, it's complete chaos. God brings the hammer down to get things straightened out. And just like with littler kids, you have to tell them what the rules are. Here are the rules. You do it this way. And the kids go, why? And how do, you, how do you respond as an adult? Because I said so. That's pretty much how God acts in the Old Testament. The people go, why? God says, I said so. And like as we've been going through the life of Moses, there are, people are always complaining about the food and, and, uh, and their situation of not having water. They just they have to constantly be told by God, you know, you guys need to knock it off. You need to have faith. You need to stop chasing after idols and things like that. The law comes down hard. But then just like as a parent, your kid becomes a teenager, a young adult. As a parent, you want them to begin to, to understand more deeply who you are as a person and that they need to be able to have a deeper connection with what it means to live life than just following rules. And that's what God does with us. We go into the age of grace through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it's not as though rules don't count anymore. It's not as though there isn't a concept of right and wrong. There is. But who we are and why we do what we do is no longer motivated just because it says so in a book, but because we're in a relationship with a God that we love and we know loves us. And in that relationship of love, we begin to develop more deeply the character of Christ within ourselves through the Holy Spirit. And that's the journey of faith that we're on as, as people. And when you read the Bible, it's interesting that humanity goes on this journey. And at the end, they're back at the beginning. If you read the book of Revelation, they're back in the presence of God. The thing that has changed, though, instead of a garden, it's a city. But the tree of life is there. And there's this sense that the Bible ends there, but we're not just a bunch of angels sitting on clouds playing harps for the rest of eternity. That is a complete misconception. First of all, we don't become angels. And the second thing is, God is always a creative God. His compulsion to create and be a creative God is never going to change. We are going to always be creation. He's going to always be God, but he's going to involve us in that next step. We just don't know what that next step will be. The Bible ends with the chapter of earth. And then what takes place after that? After we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, as the hymn tells us, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. But during that time there, it's not going to be boring. It's going to be amazing to be an integral part of God's continual nature of creation. Not to say we're going to become gods. That's what the Mormons tell you. 
You're going to always be creation. He's always going to be creator. But man, it's going to be incredible, beyond words. And we don't even have the words for it. So we call it salvation. We call it eternal life. We call it being in heaven. But really, it's coming to this place of this new and deep and reformed relationship with God. And this is very much the same kind of language Jesus uses. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. What was it that was revealed? Well, we know in Luke what the disciples had come back and said. It's like, wow, everyone submits everything. Sickness, demons, everything submits to the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is like, yes, because this is what you need to understand. I am the word made flesh, and in me I have authority over all things. That's what was revealed. Yes, Father, this was for what? For your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In other words, Jesus is saying he is the fulfillment of the plan that God has put in place since before the creation of the world. And you're part of that plan. You are part of that fulfillment. You here sitting today. You have mysteries revealed to you that you maybe not even realized were mysteries. That Jesus Christ is the very word of God made flesh to dwell among us. That he has shown us the glory of the Father. You might go, yeah, I learned that in Sunday school. Good for you. But for many, in the time of Christ, that was a mystery. Jesus even says as much, you know, when, he, when you put these, put these passages all together, and I won't read through them again, you can just put them back together, but you can, you'll just see how these all use the same language. It's always coming to the same thing. The mystery that is revealed is that God has prepared us through Christ to be part of a greater eternal plan. And this is something that you need to understand. Everything that goes on in your life as a believer, everything, good, bad, sad, fun, boring, exciting, Everything is developing you toward the person you're going to be for all eternity. The Spirit of God that dwells within you is shaping your character into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And sometimes we look at this life and it's hard, but it's just like training for, to be an athlete. You know, if you've ever trained to be an athlete, it's not easy. You have to work hard and some days are super hard. Some days you train so hard you feel sick or your body is aching. And you're sore and you're wondering, is this even worth it? The Apostle Paul, he uses that, the imagery, I'm running this race, or he says, I beat my body, you know, so that I can overcome the, the, the desires of the flesh. You know, the idea that you're working towards something, it's hard sometimes. Sometimes you feel like someone else got, uh, crossed the finish line ahead of you. But the point is, all that you go through, and some of us go through, we go through very different things, but it's all leading us to that place of who we're going to be in God's eternal plan. And that makes it worth it. And I know sometimes we struggle with things in our faith and in our minds. I know I do. When a young man, like Andrea's cousin, uh, who died of, of stomach cancer, a young believer with young kids, it's hard to get our heads around how is this in any way glorifying to God. But this is where faith comes in. Because, you know, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, it really won't matter if we lived 100 years or 35 years here on this earth. That time in eternity, as it stretches out from 10,000 years to 100,000 years to a million years, this time on earth will be smaller and smaller in relative, 
relatively speaking, but this time, this little tiny slice of time during this time on earth is going to determine where you spend the rest of eternity. And if this time is tough or if this time is easy, if you're in Christ, you're going to be spending that eternity with God and pretty soon the tears of this time will fade away. And that's why in the book of Revelation it says, in heaven there will be no more tears. Because there will be no more of these things that cause us the angst and the insecurity and the anger and the fear and the sorrow. They'll be gone. This is what you have been built for. This is the purpose that you have, to be prepared to be part of something greater, something eternal. And the other thing is that this salvation isn't just for the Jewish people. Gentiles are also included, which is great. That's good news. That's what we want to hear. And look, look what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. He answers the mystery. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. You see, the, the, the gospel is an open mystery. If you've ever read the word and you thought, what is this mystery I'm supposed to know? Just read the next verse. Most of the time it's there. Because God is not trying to hide from us. God wants to be revealed. You know what hides God from us? What, is, what hides God from us? Our sin. God is righteous and holy. The thing that obscures God from our understanding is our sin. Because our sin makes us selfish. And you can't know God by being selfish. Our sin makes us uh, hateful. You can't know God's character and be hateful in your character at the same time. The things that obscure God from us is us, our own sin. God's desire is that he be revealed, which is why he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Christ came not just to die for our sins, but to die for our sins so that God could be revealed to us. We could be back in relationship with God. And in that revealed relationship with God, we can come to know God. His very spirit can dwell within us. And as his spirit dwells within us, we are transformed. And that's what the fruits of the spirits are, the whole love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's the mystery. And now it's true that the Jewish people, are, they, have a, they have this place in, in human history because it's through their relationship with God that is recorded in the Bible that we see that we cannot live by law. It's impossible for us to live by law. We understand that obedience leads to death and destruction. We understand these things. One of the interesting things, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll get clues that God doesn't only work with the Jewish people in the Old Testament. But it's the Jewish history that God records for us in the Bible, and this is why they are in this place of, of honor, because not only is their journey with God as a people we see it form, and we see it go all the way through to the Messiah. That is unique. We don't have anyone, any other people group that we see their, their understanding of God form and then go through the whole process of law and disobedience and capture and, and restoration and coming to the point of the Messiah. And the Messiah was born within a Jewish household. So they're in that place of honor. And Jesus makes it very clear, sometimes startlingly so, that he came first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. We'll get into that later on the, in the Gospel of Matthew. But while it's true he came first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles, he did come for both. And we are included. And that, 
while you read that and you go, that's not much of a mystery that we're heirs together with Israel. Believe me, it was when this was written. This was a mind blower that God loves you regardless of your cultural background, regardless of your nationality, regardless of your gender, regardless of, you know, be you male or female. This is why he talks about male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. He loves you based on just the fact that you're created in the image of God. And one of the amazing things about IBCD, and we say this often, but we can't say it enough. You know, we don't have a whole lot in common. And we know that. I mean, you heard me butcher, you know, the name... Uh, the family name for Benjamin and uh, Juline, and sorry, you know, Chris got a kick out of that. And that's okay. It's okay when we kind of walk through this, but we understand, right, that there's huge cultural differences. There's differences between families, you know, how you run your families. You know, some of you came out of uh, different governmental backgrounds, you know, like your country has this type of government, my country has that type of government. The only thing we have in common in Christ, as Christians is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. But you know what? That's all we need. That's all we need. Because if we can walk in the place of grace and realize that no one is really going out of their way to hurt anyone's feelings, like if someone shakes hands the wrong way, well, we don't really shake hands anymore. You know, I don't know. Maybe some culture, when you bump elbows with someone, you're declaring war. I don't know. But I think we would assume here that when we see someone go, hey, and we bump elbows, we're not saying, I'm taking you down. And we assume the best. That this is some modified COVID form of greeting each other. And that we, are, that we believe the best from one another. We trust the best one another. And if we've caused offense, we just tell one another, you know, that, that doesn't really go well with me. Then we go, okay, sure, you can stop whatever that is. And this is the beautiful thing about IBCD is that we manage to stay together with this one thing in common, Jesus Christ. And as long as we keep our eyes on him, we're going to be fine. When we get our eyes off of him and start looking around at each other, then we're going to have a problem. But if we keep our eyes on Christ, it'll be fine. And he came. This is the amazing thing about Jesus. Sure, he was born within the Jewish context, but he impacts every people, nation, state, culture in the world. And as we go through the journey of faith and we're exposed to these mysteries, and we wonder, am I doing the right thing? Have I understood this correctly? Am I, am I in the right belief with God? And we have all these little questions. We have these questions that can sometimes cause us anxiety. Jesus basically is saying he's revealed the very character and nature of God to us. So therefore, he now says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. In other words, I'm the answer. So just come to me. Now, a lot of times we read this in the context of I'm having a bad day or I'm kind of in a spiritual funk or things aren't going on good in my life and they take this, we take this out of a context, which is fine because we can think of it that way. But the context in which Jesus is saying it is this mystery has been now revealed. It's been revealed that you are created for eternity. It's been revealed that Jesus Christ is the very word of God made flesh. He is the one through whom God has put his plan into action. And by trusting in him and knowing him, we'll know the Father. That Jews and Gentiles together, all of humanity, can be part of this new race that's been created in Jesus Christ. A new race which is not born out of culture but or, or, or of ethnicity, but a race that is born out of faith. 
And we all are equally part of that in Christ. And so for those of you who have wandered and wondered, and am I in Christ? Do I understand my faith correctly? Am I where I need to be? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the revealed mystery that is in Jesus Christ, that is the life of Jesus Christ, and that is our expected destination and purpose in you as children of eternity. And Father, we pray that as some of us may have been struggling about places of, am I really saved or not? I have those questions all the time. Or am I following the exact right single plan that God has for me or not? And may these weary souls find rest in you. May these weary souls find that they can trust you. And they can trust that every place that you have put them in, every situation, sometimes painful ones because this earth is one affected by sin. But you've been there and you're preparing them for something greater. You're preparing them to be the people you want us to be for eternity. And Lord, those questions that people sometimes ask, well, what makes Jesus any different than any other great teacher? Maybe see that the answer to that mystery is simply that you are the very word of God made flesh. The scripture in other places tells us in the Son, the full divinity of God dwells. And that when we see you, we've seen the Father. And when we trust you, we've trusted the Father. And when we submit to acknowledging our need for salvation, for eternal life, for being with you, all the different ways we try and explain this big mind-bending thing, and that we need that and we need to be brought into a place of righteousness by your sacrifice May we see it as something that you planned for since the beginning of, before the beginning of time. None of this is an accident. None of us are an accident. None of where you've led us is an accident. And the world may look at us and say that, you know, you just believe in, you may as well believe in fairy tales and elves and wizards if you believe in Jesus Christ, but may we see how you are a real impactful part of history. You broke into our history by, coming, by becoming flesh. You took upon yourselves our weaknesses, our sin. Scripture says you became sin for us. And God, that's something that's hard for us to get our heads around, but you did. So may we find rest in you by just simply trusting you, trusting what you've done, trusting what you will do. You are a mystery revealed. You love us. Help us to love you deeper and deeper every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.